Amen. Our Bible reading today is taken from Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to commence reading at verse 15. Let's hear the word of God, reading, of course, from the authorized version. We welcome all who are online, and we pray that you'll follow the reading on the screen, or have a copy of the scriptures yourself and see the words. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things. And by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 23. And we pray the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now this morning, after a break of some months, we're now returning to our expository studies in the book of Colossians. Today my text is found in Colossians chapter 1 verse 23. And my theme today I've entitled the necessity of a true perseverance or the responsibility of the redeemed. Now what the apostle Paul is doing in writing the letter to the church at Colossae under the inspiration of the Spirit of God is this. His main aim is to extol the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that's Paul's answer to the church under attack, to the church in danger. The people of God, they are in danger of being led away by the false teaching and influence of certain uh, individual teachers. And this is Paul's answer to that. Extol and exalt and magnify the person and work of the Lord Jesus. And if we were to consider Colossians 1 verses 15 to 22 that I've read, we can glean here that the Apostle Paul is setting forth that Jesus Christ is none other than God manifest in the flesh. 
He's the eternal son of the everlasting father. He sets forth that he's also the sovereign creator of the entire universe. That he's not only creator, but he's controller. Because he's the one that upholds all things by the word of his power. Paul also sets forth that Jesus Christ is the only redeemer of sinners. And he does redeem sinners on the ground and merit of his blood shedding and death at Mount Calvary. And through his death on Mount Calvary, he reconciles sinners to God. For the very purpose of what? Of presenting us as holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. Now what follows then is logical. What follows is absolutely magnificent. What Paul is stating here in verse 23 is this. That being redeemed and being in a reconciled state, those in Christ have a responsibility to continue in that faith and to serve him. Now that we enjoy the very blessings and benefits of the gospel, now that we partake of the benefits of the gospel, that blessing and those benefits do have a bearing on how we ought to live out our lives. Every true believer, born again of the Holy Spirit, washed in the blood, has a personal responsibility to continue in the faith of the gospel. See, I want you to understand that Paul is a wise teacher. He knows that the people in the church are not immune from the danger of deception. Paul knew that. Paul was aware of that in his day. Neither were they immune and neither are we. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and in the verse 12. He, he says this, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. And that was a problem then. The people in the church were not immune from the danger of deception. And what is true then is true now. You think of the impact of false teachers in the Christian church this past hundred years. We've got now people teaching what they call a new perspective on Paul, which is really an attack on the doctrine of justification by faith alone, the article upon which the true church stands or falls. In some churches, you've got teaching that we call open theism. Open theism denies the absolute sovereignty of God in the church and in the country. It denies the essential deity of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You've got another movement that's very widespread, impacts upon missionary work, and it's called the insider movement. You're thinking, well, what is that? Well, the insider movement teaches that there's good and merit in other religions. And it's trying to merge them together in a form of uh, synergism. And they teach, now listen to me carefully, that being sincere is the key. So you can be a sincere Muslim, a sincere Buddhist. You can be a sincere Roman Catholic. And sincerity is the key, no matter what you really believe or how you behave. But is that the basis of salvation? You've got the health and wealth movement, the name and claim it gospel. You see, the church is in danger. And we are not immune 
I'm not being harsh. I'm not being critical. I'm not being judgmental. The reality is we do not really know the true state of our own hearts. We're not really as appalled as we should be to the depth of our own depravity and the depth of our own sinfulness. So here's Paul's advice. Here's what he's saying we should do. We should continue in the faith, grounded and settled in the faith of the gospel. Now, as I thought of this text, I I thought of four things straight away. I thought of the necessity of holding fast to the gospel. Look, Look at the text. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Now, you see, this is an important text. It's critical that you and I understand what this means. You see, at first appearance, what is it saying to you this morning? If ye continue in the faith. Think of the words, if you continue. You see, it implies something. If you don't, you will lose all the blessings of being reconciled to God. You will lose it all if you don't fill the condition of continuation. You've heard of conditional salvation. A preacher years ago by the name of John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, taught that the individual Christian and the individual's Christian eternal security, now listen to this, depends on their faithfulness to God. So I want to ask this morning, does your salvation in Christ depend on your faithfulness to God? You see, here's the question. Is that the meaning of the text? And at first appearance to many that read it and read it now and hear me, and even when I read it, that was the impression that I got. But I want to tell you something this morning It is not. Look carefully at the words. You've got to think it through. Keep in mind the context. You see, it's teaching the exact opposite. Christian's responsibility, your personal faithfulness to God, doesn't depend on you. It depends on Jesus Christ. It depends on the security you enjoy in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, verse 23 is really a statement on the doctrine of the perseverance of the people of God. Jesus Christ and his work of salvation in the heart and life of the individual is the guarantee of his perseverance in the gospel. Your eternal security doesn't depend on yourself. Your eternal security depends on the Savior. And the critical word is understanding the word if. You must understand its usage this morning. You see, if could be a doubt, uncertainty. If can be a conditionality. But there's a third usage in the New Testament. If, in order to assume that something is true, in order to assume that something is going to happen. The word if literally means in the Greek, 
since ye believe, or since ye continue, or because ye continue. Now, that's the true meaning. And I would encourage you to write the word since, or the word because, beside verse 23. Because then that takes away the element of doubt. That takes away the element of conditionality and brings us to that point where we assume that this supposition is true, that our security depends not on self, but on the Savior. You see, if we use doubt here, suppose I make if to be a doubt. Suppose I make if to be a conditionality. Then we would have to teach something that we would refuse to teach, and it's this. That the redeemed of God, those reconciled to the Lord, could lose their salvation and fall away into apostasy and be lost in hell for all eternity. Now that is not what Paul is teaching here. You see, that makes salvation then depend on our doing, our faithfulness, our ability, our strength, our power, our perseverance. But that is not what Paul is teaching, folks. Literally, in the Greek New Testament, it means since you continue in the faith or because you continue in the faith. They are already experiencing this continuation in the hope of the gospel. It's a present personal experience. They are holding fast to the gospel. The Apostle Paul is not casting doubt in their profession of faith. He's not adding what we call, or I'll call, a humanistic condition to salvation. That is implying if they fail to fulfill the condition, they will lose their salvation. He's not saying that. He is saying to those who are reconciled to God through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, that since you continue... Or because you continue, you will continue to continue. And you will not be moved or removed from this hope, despite the danger that you face at the hands of the false teachers. Because your eternal security is in Christ. And in Christ, you'll be given the grace and the ability and the strength to remain true and faithful to him. Now let me ask the question, very simple question, and think of this. On who or what does your eternal security depend? See, I believe in eternal security, and I trust that you do as well. But on who or what does your eternal security depend? Now if we were to listen to John Wesley, and I have great admiration for John Wesley, and let me just add this, I'm not fit to unloose the shoes of the founder of Methodism. I'm not even a tenth, and that's an exaggeration, of the man of God that he was. But I believe, and I say this sincerely, John Wesley was wrong to teach that our eternal security depends on one's self. Because if it depends on me, then I'll never make it to heaven. I'll be lost 
end in hell. I want you to get into your head this morning. Our eternal security depends on the Savior. And his work for us that's applied through the instrumentality of the Spirit. Now, now think of this. Suppose you're a believer and you've been 50 years saved. And you've walked with God and you've gone on with the Lord. And you've hated sin, you've loved righteousness, and you've done your best to live a holy life. And then say at the end of those 50 years, you, you, you sin in some particular area. Maybe you sin for a minute before you die. According to John Wesley's teaching, you could be lost. You see, I want you to understand that your personal holiness, your covenant faithfulness to God and his word, your spirit of perseverance, your continuation in the faith of the gospel depends on Christ and in Christ alone. And John Wesley's teaching is a dangerous teaching. Now there's another dangerous teaching. And it's this. Now listen to me carefully. Eternal security belongs to all who profess faith in Christ. Does it? You think of individuals who've walked an aisle, signed a card, held up a hand in a meeting, had a wee chat with the preacher, prayed what we'll call the sinner's prayer, and they have assumed, because they profess an outward profession of faith in Christ, that they're now saved. And yet that individual to this day is living in sin. Sin doesn't bother them. They can sin in thought and word and deed with no thought. That they're happy in their sin. They've no interest in the things of God. The day of God, they, they do their thing. They have forgotten, remember, the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The word of God, it's a book that's never in their hand. They never read it nor, nor meditate upon it. The cause of God, they, they have no interest in that. They do not live by the faith of Christ. They do not strive to be a, a, a holy individual. They, they have no interest in living a holy, godly life. They don't talk about Christ as Lord. They don't even talk about him as Savior. And we assume that because they have an outward profession, they're eternally secure. I want to tell you there's a vast difference between an outward profession and having a true possession of Christ. And if you only have an outward profession, but no interest in the things of God, then I have to question this morning if you're ever born again or truly saved. Many have no saving attachment, no saving interest, no saving love, no living for Christ. And if that is true, no matter what they profess, they've never been born again. They've never been redeemed by the blood. They've never been reconciled to God. If ye continue, as present tense, since ye continue, and once you begin to continue, you continue to continue, even though that sounds Irish. Now, that's the first point. The second point is this this morning. Not only the necessity of holding fast to the gospel, 
but the necessity of hearing first of the gospel. If you look at our text in verse 24, it says this, If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. You see, all who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, and all who have been reconciled to God, they have come to a personal faith in Jesus Christ. How? Notice the words, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven. You see, the Bible says that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That's why it's important to come and hear the word of God. The word of God read, the word of God preached. The Bible says it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And young people hearing the gospel is a privilege. Either in the home or in the house of God. Many have never heard. And you have been greatly blessed and privileged to hear the word of God in the gospel. But let me explain that. There's a general hearing. Notice the words, and was preached to every creature under heaven. What does that mean? Does that mean that every universal um, individually in the world has heard the gospel? No. It's a reference to the then known world, the Roman world, the, the world of Jew and the world of Gentile. See, see, Paul adopted this mindset, rightly so, that all men are sinners, all men are souls, all men and women, boys and girls and young people need to repent, need to believe the gospel. But before they can repent and believe the gospel, they need to hear the gospel. So he believed in the general call of the gospel to all men. You see, why do I emphasize that this morning for this reason? Some want to limit the gospel. Some say the gospel is only for the elect. Somebody come to Charles Hatton Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, on one occasion and said to him, you shouldn't be preaching the gospel to all men. You should only be preaching the gospel to the elect. He thought about it and he said, you know what? You're You're right. Tell you what, here's some chalk. Go you round the 6,000 nights in the tabernacle this morning and you put a chalk mark on the back of everyone that you think's the elect. person speaking to him said, but I can't do that. I don't know who they are. Spurgeon said, neither do I. That's why there's a general call of the gospel to all men. You see, there's a tendency to limit the gospel. And there's a tendency today to limit outreach. But it's wrong, because the gospel is for the world. The gospel is suited for the world. It's all classes of people, regardless of their color or their ethnicity, regardless if they profess a creed or none. And those who hear the gospel receive the gospel in one of two ways. There's the hearing of the ear. It reaches the intellect. But sadly, for many who receive the gospel through the hearing of the ear. That word doesn't profit them because that is not mixed with faith. And that's what Hebrews 4 and verse 2 actually tells us. So that's one way to hear the gospel, the hearing of the ear. But the real way to hear the gospel is the hearing of faith. Isn't this what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 2? Listen to these words. This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. 
Faith is forsaking all, I trust him. You see, it's possible to give intellectual, mental assent to the gospel that's devoid of a true heart, obedience to the Spirit's call. True faith touches the mind. It impacts on the intellect. It impacts on the heart. In fact, it moves and directs and changes the will. It changes the life. Isn't this what Paul says? If you think of Romans chapter 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and to believe in thine heart that God had raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Paul says, if any man be in Christ, is a new creature, all things have passed away, and all things have become new, and all things are of God. You see, how many today, even in free Presbyterian circles, sit in the house of God, and they give assent in their mind. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe the Bible. In fact, they would defend the Bible. Somebody said it was a book containing errors. They would argue with them and say, you're wrong. If somebody said, I don't believe in heaven, they say, well, I do believe in heaven. Somebody said, I don't believe in hell. They would say, well, well, I do believe in hell. There has to be a place of punishment for evildoers. And they give mental assent to these certain propositions that are true. Now, that's an element, an important component part of true faith. But that's only the first step. That mental assent to those true propositions must bring the individual to a laying hold of Christ and the gospel. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not not of yourselves, as a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And let's remember this morning that true faith is the gift of God. It's implanted in the soul through the instrumentality of the Spirit and regeneration. You see, there's a, a specific hearing. Isn't this what Paul said to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 1? He said this in the verse um, 29, Philippians 1 verse 29. Listen to the word of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. And over there in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 10, we read these words. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord, that I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. True saving faith that enables us to lay hold in Christ offered in the gospel, that's also God's gift to us. That was also purchased by Jesus Christ in his death. It's given on his behalf. It's implanted in the soul. So there's not only the necessity of holding fast to the gospel, but there's the necessity of hearing first the gospel. A general hearing that leads to a specific hearing because that hearing of the gospel causes you to want to be saved, to lay hold in Christ through the instrument of faith. Notice thirdly, the necessity of heralding forth the gospel. If you notice the last part of the text, and we'll deal with that, he says this, for of I, Paul, am made a minister. See, the apostle Paul here is linking his ministry to the gospel he preached, the same gospel that Epaphroditus preached in Colossae, 
to heralding it forth as a minister of the gospel. I want you to think of three things under this point. Think of the faith of the gospel. Notice what he says, if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled. The faith is the act of believing. But the faith is also that body of truth that we believe that's essential to the doctrine of salvation. And what's the context? The Apostle Paul is setting forth the personal work of Christ. The personal work of Christ is under attack in Colossae. And as Paul is saying, well, there's certain things about the personal work of Christ that's non-negotiable. There, there's no room for error here. We, we, we can't tolerate any falsehood. And what is non-negotiable is that Jesus Christ is eternally and essentially God manifest in the flesh. And we believe in the eternal sonship of Jesus Christ and his absolute deity. We also believe that Jesus Christ is preeminent in creation because he's the creator of this world. We also believe that Jesus Christ is preeminent in providence. He's the controller. And Jesus Christ is preeminent in redemption. You see, there's a tendency today to say that, well, doctrine doesn't matter. Think of this insider movement that I mentioned Religions of the world, as long as you're sincere, sincere Muslim, sincere Buddhist, sincere whatever, it's through sincerity to your religious belief and conviction that you can be saved. So you can be saved without Christ. You can be saved without ever coming to saving faith in him. That's a lie of the devil, folks. That's humanistic thinking. To say that the content of the gospel doesn't matter. That, that, that you could have salvation without having essential and true faith in Christ. The Bible says, if we go back to the scriptures, Acts 16.31, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And that's not only the act of believing, but that's that body of truth that you give mental assent to. Because it's all connected. And you see, the truth is that no matter how sincere a Muslim is, or a Buddhist is, or a Roman Catholic is, or, or any other religion, or, or, or any other uh, uh, person who belongs to any other cult, it's not our sincerity that saves. It's the Savior Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And that needs to be sounded forth today. The Great Commission still stands. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And someone has said this rightly, that one of the greatest crimes in the desert, if you're traveling through the desert, think of the Sahara, think of the um, in Gobi Desert, one of the greatest crimes that you could commit is you know where the water is and not tell a fellow traveler. So suppose a fellow traveler comes up to you and says, do you know where the next watering hole is, mate? No, I don't. Let me see. No, no, I don't. But you do know. Well, that would be a great crime. Will you apply that to the gospel? This is a day of good tidings, a day of good news. And yet we hold our peace so often. Family, friends, community and country. 
Does not apply to carried off. I've been thinking burdened about the new housing estates that have opened up. We have to get to those doors. We have to knock on those doors. We have to meet the people inside, present them with a tract, a little invitation. You see, there's the faith of the gospel very quickly. Think of the foundation of the gospel. Notice the word grounded here. If you continue in the faith, grounded. You see, the security of our faith, our act of believing, this body of truth that we believe, rests in one foundation. And what is that foundation? Because that's what the word grounded means, a foundation. Well, let the scripture speak. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11. This is what the apostle Paul says. Listen to the word of God. You'll see it on the screen. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Remember, your salvation depends on the Savior, not on yourself. So the eternal security of every believer, born again by the Spirit of God, washed in the blood, is in Christ. That's why we want you to get your eyes in Christ. It's not even in your act of believing, important as that is. It is in the Savior in whom you have believed. Paul said, I know in whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. See, Jesus Christ can't fail. Are you struggling this morning? Are you saying, but my faith is weak. It's just like a little mustard seed. And I've got doubts and I've got fears. And I've got this problem and that problem. Remember, the true object of our faith is Jesus Christ. If you continue in the faith grounded, you think I'm in the foundation. That foundation's Christ. Notice also here the firmness of the gospel. Think of this word settled. It conveys the idea of being in a seated position. In other words, you're steadfast. You're not going to be moved. And let me assure the young people this morning that all that the Bible says and teaches about Jesus Christ is true. All that the Bible says and teaches about the living and true God in three persons is true. All that the Bible teaches about the great doctrine of salvation and heaven and hell, it's all true. You mightn't fully understand it. I don't. You mightn't fully grasp it. At times I struggle, and I know what you do. But it all rests in him. The Christian's faith rests in him. The Christian's foundation rests in him. The Christian's firmness rests in him. It all comes from him. Oh, that we could see that. You see, you can't give up Christ. You won't give up Christ. Why? Because the Spirit of God is in you. There's a fidelity to the gospel here. We must go on. This doesn't negate personal responsibility and activity. We, we persevere not in our strength and power, but his. Remember he says, John 15 and 5, without me you can do nothing. Paul says in Philippians 2, 12, um, in relation to uh, work, uh, he says this, wherefore, wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. How do we do that? It's because he's at work in us. We can be faithful because Christ is faithful. 
We can be firm because Christ is firm and unmovable. You don't have to stop continuing. Someone has said rightly, the test of having a genuine faith in Christ is that it perseveres by holding to Christ and the gospel. That is a heralding forth of the gospel. And we close the necessity of the hope of the gospel. See that word hope here he mentions? And they not have moved away from the hope of the gospel. You see, our hope is, well, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. But there's no guarantee. Now, that can be wishful thinking. We hope for the best, but we're not really sure if it's going to be fulfilled. We're probably thinking, well, it's most likely going to rain in Northern Ireland tomorrow. But this word hope has nothing to do with wishful thinking or forlorn hope. This has to do with safety, certainty, and enjoyment. It's, in other words, it's sure and steadfast. It's like the motto of the girls and boys brigade. It's, it's absolutely certain. It's guaranteed. You see, the hope of the gospel is having a, 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 a complete confidence that grips your heart and mind. A confident expectation. All the provisions of the gospel. All the blessings of the gospel, they're guaranteed to us. And we can have complete confidence in them through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's not going to abandon us. He's not going to change our position. He's like a solid rock and we're not to be moved because this hope grips our heart and grips our mind. The necessity of persevering in the gospel. Oh, that we'll learn to hold fast. Oh, that we'll hear the gospel with the hearing of faith. Oh, that we'll hurl it forth. And we'll preach none but Christ. Because we've got the hope of the gospel. And all the blessings that unfold. That's the true teaching of Colossians 1.23. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening.